0: Christ is risen. risen Amen. Amen. How exciting. I am overwhelmed to think that I am going to speak about Christ and the resurrection today. Like, it just blows my mind when I think about what that means and what that changes for us as believers. Like, it changes everything, and it's like I've just been overwhelmed this morning as I've just been thinking about the fact that, like, that's what I'm talking about. I get the privilege to talk about the life of Christ after his death. And the life that we have in him and through him. When when the angels came um, on the day that he was born and says, We have good tidings of great joy. This is the 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 life that we get. This is the life that we have. They're speaking forth, going, the good tidings, you'll have that great joy when you get the good tidings. If you're not getting the good tidings, you're not going to have that joy. You have to get the good tidings to receive that joy of what he has brought for us. All right, Romans eight eleven says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There are just some verses that just captivate me. I'm easily captivated. I'm just like, I love things. Everything is interesting to me. But like this verse, it just captivates me. The fact that the, that the same spirit, the, s- the same spirit, come on, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Come on! Like, how exciting is that? That is life. He gives us life. And that is what the truth of his word says. That I can't, like, I don't know how to not be captivated by that. Like, I can't even imagine, like, 50 years from now, not sitting down, reading that passage, and being like, I don't have any idea how that happened. I don't have any idea the depth of what this means. I don't know what the life of what this is. I was just watching um, a chef the other day and and she was talking about this other cook who's like amazing at tasting things. And she's like, you just give him food, he'll taste it and he'll tell you what was in it. Like, he'll just eat it and be like, oh, um, I think you had a little bit of this in there, a little bit, and she's like, how does he know? Like, he didn't read my recipe. And she's like, it makes me wonder if I've ever tasted anything. Like, like, I just think it's good. And, and, And I wonder if that's us. Like, have we tasted anything? Have we tasted the goodness of God? Are we just going, it's good, it's good, I like it. But the nuances, the love, the grace, the compassion, the mercy, the faithfulness of God, have we tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Are we really truly seeking? Are we really truly diving in? Are we really truly into who he is and the life that he has? That the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So I don't want to just talk about, hey, yeah, Jesus raised from the dead. It means he's alive. Awesome. But what is like— what does that change? What is the life that now is in us? I don't want to just talk about, yes, fact, he died, he raised. Let's go back and kind of like scientifically look at it or historically look at it or whatever. Like, I don't really care too much about that. I want to know, what does that change for me personally, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally? How does that actually change the life that I actually get to live into this world? That's what I want to know, and that's what I want to live into. If he didn't rise, Paul says, we're above all to be pitied. If, if we're just living for this world, oh my goodness, What a sham. What a joke. So I read these other verses by the other apostles in in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3, it says, "Blessed Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Romans 1-4, when talking about Jesus, it says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3, 10-12 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I feel like they get something that we're not getting. And I'm tired of that. I'm tired of them getting something that I'm not getting. Anybody with me? Like I want to know the life that they know. I want to know Paul's like that I would know him in the power of his resurrection, that I would know him in his life, in the fullness of who he is. And he does. You can see it in his letters. You can see it in the, in, the, in the chronicles of how he actually lived his life. He sees something. He lives something that's different, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of not seeing that in my life. I'm tired of not seeking into who that is and who he really is and the life that he has. I want it. I want it. I want that life. So when I read it, I'm tired of reading it and going, man, I think they get something. Oh, well, I'll walk away. No, I want that life, and I'm seeking it out. Matthew 27 so in uh, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-two through 53 says, uh, the tombs also were open. So this is the day that um, Jesus died. The tombs were also open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tr- tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. If life was brought to those dead bodies, how much more those of us who are alive? Come on, if it was brought into dead bodies that had no life in them and they came back to life and walked out into the city, how much more us who are alive physically that the, that the Spirit of God would come in and that we would actually go out and have life in us? That's what we're called to. I'm tired of them knowing something that I don't know. I want to live into it and I'm seeking it out and I'm going to find it. Luke tells us that uh, in, in Luke 24... Uh, verse 13 through 35, it says that very day uh, when they were, when, the, when two disciples were on their way to, the, to Emmaus, that, that Jesus ends up walking with them. And they don't realize that it's Jesus. It says their eyes are blinded, and Jesus is like, hey, what's going on? Um, and they're like, are you the only person in all Jerusalem who has not known what is going on? And the, iron- the ironic part of it is like he is it. He is what was going on. He is the whole thing of what was happening, and they have—they n- don't see it. Like they, they don't realize their perspective is wrong. Their, their, uh, th- what they expect to have happened isn't isn't it? So it says they were blinded. They couldn't see. So Jesus is walking with them, and at some point he said, "Ah, it's your hearts. Your hearts are wrong. Like you, you don't get it because your hearts can't see the truth of what I'm actually trying to. What I came to do because you had expectations for one thing, and I came and did something that your eyes thought looked different." I did what exactly what, what I was supposed to do. I did what the prophecy said I would do. But what you thought and what you saw was different than what your expectation actually was. <coughs> so they saw him, but they didn't recognize him, and it was a heart issue. So when, when Paul, in Ephesians, he says that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened. That's it. That's what we need, right? We need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. He's like, that's what you need. Let me pray for this. This is what I want you to have, that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened to know. That you are the inheritance of Christ. That we are his inheritance. There's another place that says he is our inheritance, but in this one it says that we are his inheritance, that he loved us. It's like that pearl of great price, that that treasure that was out in the field. He gives up everything and he comes after you because you're that precious. He wants that. And he wants you to have that life. I came to give life and give it abundantly, not just life, but life abundantly. So he asked that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. So normally I would pray right here, but I actually want us to do something different. I want us to all rise real quick together. And we're actually going to sing the doxology. And we're going to sing the first verse of the doxology. And I wrote a second verse that goes along with the prayer that Paul has in Ephesians 1. And so I want us to sing that together and let that be our prayer. Um, Next slide. Next slide. Can you guys all read that all right? Okay. So I want that to all be our prayer um, as we sing this. So all together.
1: Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise.
0: seated. So I don't know if you guys have found this, but I find that Jesus basically does everything different than I expect. He does everything counter to the way that I think, that the expectations that I have for him coming into the scriptures, he does things differently. He says things differently. He comes, he's born in a stable, but he's a king. It says that he was, he was uh, comely to look at, like it wasn't like a great looking guy. I did find out that the average height though in, in Jerusalem around that time was about 5'6", and that's how tall I am. So I feel pretty good about that one. <laughs> 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 he tells people, like he heals them, and, and he tells them, hey, don't tell anybody. And it's like, wait, you should tell people. Come on. Like, that's my expectation. Like, he, he dies, but his dying brings life. Everything is just counter. Everything is just different than what I expect. And in John 10, 10, he says, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And sometimes I think that the, the, the way that we think about that is like, yeah, after I die, I'll be with him forever. That'll be the life I have. I mean, yeah, sure. Yep, that's guaranteed if you're a believer. But I think there's more to it. Let's not just cut off life at the knees and go, here you go, go ahead and try to walk around without any legs. Uh, no, it's not just life after death. It's life now. I came to bring life and bring it abundantly. In John 14:19, Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. And he says this before he dies. So then when he does live, we go, oh, because you live, I see you living and you were dead. I now know that I can live. I can live into the life that he has through the resurrection, that there's something that has changed, that he has count- he's countered what the world had to give. He goes, let's have some life. Enter into that. So again, Romans eight eleven says, If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. There's something about being joined with Christ in his death and his resurrection, something about being united with him, something about actually growing up into all things who is Christ, the head, and being given life by the Spirit that raised him from the dead that changes me, that changes you. And that's what we're after, right? That's what we want to know. We want to know what is that life, and how does that play out, and how do I live into that? He unites us with him through his Spirit into his life abundantly, both now and in the age to come. But I want to know right now, how do I, what is that? What does that look like? I find it interesting that in the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, whenever Jesus is, is referenced as being like, um, exalted in one way or another, um, whenever it's, he, he's described as being transcendent above, above all, glorified beyond compare, ruling and reigning, if you read about him in Ephesians or Colossians or different places, right after that says, and you. Let me tell you all about the resurrected Christ, how he's glorified, how he's transcendent, how he's majestic over all, how he's the king of the creation, and you immediately right after that he's putting us together you guys are one let me tell you about how great he is and then go and you are one with him he is above all he created everything and you are with him he gave up everything to bring you back and you are one with him go find it in the in the new testament find where it talks about how great christ is and it'll say and you Right after it, and it'll be like, and you are in him, and you are found in him, and his life is found in you. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Right? In Revelation, it starts with the glorified Christ. That's how it intros, and it ends with the glorified bride. We have to know who he is as the glorified Christ to be entering into us as the glorified bride. As he glorifies us in this, as he brings us into this, we actually, in turn, bring more glory, power, honor, and praise to him. He's not giving anything up. He's not going, hey, take the, sh- take the spotlight for a little while. He's like, no, actually, you're joining up with me. And every time that you get glorified, I get it back from you because that's how it works. This is that paired union. This is that, that way that we actually come together with him and that we're united as one. Is Christ... Who lives within me? He's before me. He's behind me. He's above me. He's beneath me. It's Christ. And Christ alone. That's our life. So he didn't come just to expose that we were sinners. Oftentimes we're like this. Yeah, he came to go, hey, you're sinners, let me die for you. Guaranteed that's a fact. But he saw something else: that buried treasure. He saw that. He's like, yeah, 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 I know you're sinners. And we'll talk about, um, we'll talk about the uh, original sin, but what about original glory? What about what he actually saw from the beginning, that there was actually originally a creation that he made humans that were actually the way that he designed them? They fell, and he goes, that's what I'm bringing you back to. I'm bringing you back to sons and daughters. I'm not just dying for you because you're a sinner. I paid a high price because I saw your worth, I saw your worth before sin. I saw what you were before then. I know what you were designed to be. I know you were always my sons and my daughters. You were stained, you were blemished, you were taken over by something that wasn't you. So I'm paying that price and I'm bringing you back to sonship. I'm bringing you back to be my daughters, to be my heirs, to be with me, to be united with me. He sees something of worth in us beyond just a sinner. He's like, I see the depth. I see in your heart that you were a son, that you were a daughter, Something got messed up along the way, but I'm paying it all. I'm redeeming, I'm buying out of slavery, and I'm saying, have this life. Have this life in you also. (laughs) Even while we were dead in our sins, while we were enemies, that's when he died for us. So for us to then go, well, he might have died then, but I've done something since then. Even while we were enemies, even while we were against him, he died for us. What else is, like, how much more? Like, if an enemy, you're an enemy. I'm a double enemy. What? That doesn't make any sense. Like, I can't be any more an enemy than I was. He paid for it. I don't care what's happened since then. He paid for it. He pays for every single one of them, and it'll never stop. It's a one-time thing, and it covers it all. And he made us alive In Him. And we are indwelt by His Spirit. All right, I want to get into a whole list of what the Bible says we are, who we actually are. I'm going to blow through these pretty fast because it's a relatively long list. But this, listen, this is who we are as believers. All right, so pay attention and go, all right, spirit, speak to me. What do these mean to me? What does this mean? If this is true of of me, if this is what your scripture, the truth of God, if this is actually true, what does that mean? How does that change me if this is my identity? I am the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. I'm a child of God. I am part of the true vine, a channel of Christ's life. I am Christ's friend. I am chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruit. I am a slave to righteousness and not to sin. I am enslaved to God. I am a son of God and one in Christ. God is spiritually my father. I am a joint heir with Christ, sharing in his inheritance with him. I am a temple. I am a dwelling place of God. His spirit and his life dwell in me. I am united with the Lord, and I am one in spirit with him. I am a member of his body, a new creation. I am reconciled to God and a minister of reconciliation. I am a saint. I am his workmanship. I am his handiwork. I am born anew in Christ to do his work. I am a fellow citizen with the rest, with the rest of God's family. I am a prisoner of Christ. I am a righteous and holy. I am a citizen of heaven and seated in heavenly places right now. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am expre- an expression of the life of Christ because he is my life. I am chosen of God and dearly loved. I am a son of light and not of darkness. I am a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. I am a partaker of Christ. I share in his life. I am one of God's living stones being built up into a living house. I am a member of a royal race, a chosen priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. I am an alien and a stranger of, to this age. I am an enemy of Satan. I am a child of God and I resemble Christ my brother when he returns. I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. I am not the great I am but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Come on. That list speaks to who you are. That is too good. That is too good for us to just know some details about and not walk into. When Jesus said he came to bring life abundantly, I think he majorly played it down. He didn't say enough. Or we didn't get it. My expectations are wrong. I didn't know what life meant. I didn't know what it actually had in it. I hadn't tasted in all the details of it. I hadn't come to actually the knowledge of what is the width and the depth and the length and the breadth of who he is and what his love is for me. You haven't either. I haven't. We haven't. We will continue to search it out and to know what is life. What does that look like? What is that in our lives? And I want to search it out and I want to seek him and I want to know what is that life and continue to know who he is and what he's done. I find it actually much easier to believe other things in the Bible besides the, that list. I find it easier to believe that he parted the waters, right? I find it easier to believe that he shut the mouths of lions. I find it easier to believe that, that there was a boat on the water with animals (laughs) from all over the place in this boat for 40 days, right? That's crazy. (laughs) I I, I find it easier to believe that there was an altar that had water poured all over it and fire from heaven comes down, burns up all the water and the sacrifice and the altar. I find that easier to believe than the fact that I'm a son. I find it easier to believe that he fed all the people in the wilderness for the entire time they were out there than to believe that I'm united with Christ and a fellow heir. It's easier for me to believe that. Which is more true? They are both true. It doesn't matter what I believe. doesn't matter what I actually think is right. The truth is the truth. And I bring my life into alignment with the truth. And that's where my life actually has life. Jesus said that he came to bring life and bring it abundantly. It kind of sounds like the promised land. Abundantly, more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. A land flowing with milk and honey, my cup runneth over. A crop for every season, a harvest when there is no rain, joy in spite of sorrow, hope transcending despair. A reality bigger than what we actually see. The life Jesus brings is very much like walking into the promised land. We have seen that he is the first fruits and we are what will come after. So if the first fruits have been ripe and taken, Jesus Christ, we are the fruit that comes after. That's the way harvests work. You get all, like my blackberry bushes, if Isaiah doesn't steal all my blackberries before I get out there, uh, I go out there and there's a couple blackberries that harvest a little bit faster than everybody else. I know that means... I've got a whole crop coming. Jesus, the first fruits, he's got a whole crop coming, right? We're that crop. We're that, we're that group of people that he's united with him to be that fruit. Let's walk in him. So it's this whole life of seeing the promised land, seeing into what he has promised and what he's actually given for us. What did it look like for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness? And they had 12 spies go out. In Numbers, we have Moses sends out the 12 spies, and they come back. And the first group says, or the the, the first 10 say, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified, and very large. And they go on to explain all of these great massive people and like how dangerous this could be and, and and how this couldn't work. But did did God promise that he was gonna take them out and into? Out of slavery? Into a promised land? Freedom? However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. I'm terrified. Does that sound like anybody sometimes? Yeah, pretty, much every day. pretty much every day, yeah. It's easier to believe that he'll shut the mouths of lions than to believe that I'm unified with Christ, that I can actually walk into the promised land. Later on in Numbers 13, uh, verses 30 through 33, Caleb says, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are all, we are all well able to overcome it. Then the men... Who had gone up with him said, "We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are." So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, "The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height." It's a land that devours its inhabitants. I feel like that's actually what we actually tend to live into just in general, that we, we're more afraid of the things around us. We're more afraid of whatever it might be than actually the promised land that we can, we're allowed to walk into, that he's already promised, that he's already told us this life is ours. We've heard the bad report as opposed to the good one. Caleb's going, yes, I remember what God said. I remember that he promised that we can. I remember that he promised that he would. And I, promi- I know that he said he will do it. So if he will do it, he will be faithful to complete whatever he started, Right? But there was a bad report, and that stopped them. All right, go to the next slide. In Numbers 14, the people said, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. What? Really? Like that was, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt? Or Would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword, our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul says that in Galatians 5. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. You've already been bought out. You are free. You are redeemed. You are holy and righteous and blameless. You are above reproach in the sight of God. Does that sound like life? Sounds like life to me. But slavery doesn't. Slavery doesn't sound like freedom. Slavery doesn't sound like, like the life that we've been given. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. They go on in Numbers 14, 7-9. The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, this is uh, Joshua and Caleb speaking, he will bring us into, the la- into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. Don't rebel and don't fear, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. Take the land. He's the first fruits. Take the land, take the promised land, go into it. I'm saying this to you. I'm saying this for your life. See what he's called, like what he's called us into. Take the land. Don't rebel against the Lord, and don't fear. The enemy is bread for us. Numbers 14, 10 through 11. Then all the congregation said, stone them with the stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? I don't want that to be what he says about me. I don't want it to be. How long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done, in spite of the faithfulness that I've had, in spite of the grace, in spite of my compassion day in and day out, in spite of my love that stretched me from one side to the other? How long will they not believe in me? How long will they not see the promises, the promised land, the life that I have, the life that I brought, not just life, but I brought it abundantly? How long will they they strive with me and wait? Will they take it? Will they go in? Do they know that I am faithful? Have they seen, have they tasted and seen that I am good? (laughs) All too often I find myself Looking for the living things amongst the dead things in life. I'm looking, going, all right, where's the life? Where's the life? I'm looking for life. I can't find it anyplace. And the angel's like, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? You're in the tombs. There's nobody here. Go to the place where the live people are. That's where you're going to find it. Go to Christ, the fountainhead, the spring of living water. Living water. That's where life comes from. The bread of life. Everything is found in him. All life is found in him. See, I find myself also to be oftentimes more sin conscious than righteousness conscious. I have this scale in my head of sin and righteousness. Which one weighs more? Which one do I think weighs more? Yeah, I often think sin weighs more. It's like... uh, when I was younger, and I was playing on the teeter-totters. You never wanted that big kid on the other side of the teeter-totter because then you're up on the top. And oftentimes I think that I'm up there and sin's got me nailed down. But it's reversed. Righteousness weighs way more than sin. Righteousness weighs way its not even close. Like, if you were to have them— together uh, an even scale and you were to put sin on the one side and it would drop down because there's nothing on the other side and you were to put righteousness it would catapult it as far as the east is from the west. But all too often I find myself on the righteousness side pushing up with my legs to help sin out a little bit. I want it down so I can a little bit more of an even playing field. Christ paid it off. He's the chubby kid on the playground keeping it down. <laughs> I don't know if Christ has ever been referred to as a chubby kid, but <laughs> just happened. <laughs> I also think sometimes that we hear these things in the New Testament, like, flee from these things, don't do these things, put off this, walk in this way, don't do that, do this, and it can feel oppressive, depressive, compressive, and repressive, But it's freedom. That's what it actually is. It's our perspective is wrong. The way we see it isn't correct. It's life in all of its glory. See, it's kind of like my grandma. When she would sit at the table with me, it was always, uh, Stephen, sit up. Lean over the plate. Scoot in. Use your fork. Stop that. Don't slurp that. Chew it all the way. Slow down. (laughs) I heard all of those things. (laughs) And that's the way it would feel when I read, hey, don't do these things. Put off this. Don't do that. Do this. Live this way. Not that way. It would feel like I was at the kitchen table getting critiqued on how I was supposed to eat. <laughs> but God says, that's not right. That's not who we're meant to be. He wants us to act like, my grandma wanted me to grow up into an adult, not just a big kid, not just a child. She said, scoot in so that you don't get food all over your clothes. Scoot in so you're not having go all over the floor said eat slow it'll help your digestion i'm still working on that one (laughs) and god says the same thing he's telling us this is how you're supposed to live because it brings the most life live this way otherwise you're gonna get stuff all over your clothes you're gonna get muddy you're gonna get all dirty you're gonna make a mess all over other people's lives right next to you they're gonna have to wipe off the whole area God says, I want you to grow up into all things who is my son. I'm not supposed to be a big kid with diapers running around trying to pretend I'm like Christ. I'm supposed to mature into his son, to grow up into all things who is Christ the head. It's the same thing my grandma was trying to do. She was trying to get me to grow up, grow up into an adult, grow up into the person that I'm supposed to be. It felt oppressive, felt repressive, compressive. But was it? No. It was life. It was what I was supposed to become. And that's what I want from Christ. I want to grow up into everything that he has for me. <coughs> First Peter 1, 13 through 19, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope, set, so I can take my hope and I can set it on something, set my hope fully, fully and only, wholly, truly, that's the amplified version I just gave you. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed. Don't be conformed to the passions of, the, of your former ignorance. This was former. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him, as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And this is the part I want to to really get. Knowing that you were ransomed, past tense, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That is what I actually that's what paid. That's what ransomed me out. So I don't actually have to give in to the former lusts, the former passions, the former ignorance that I used to live into. I've been ransomed. It's past. I choose to go back into slavery. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Walk in the freedom. Walk in the life. We're being in the world, but not of it. Living for something that our eyes haven't seen, but our hearts know is true. We walk this out not by sight or hearing, but by faith in Jesus. And not just what he has already done, although that would be enough, but what he's continuing to do. That he's been faithful to continue to work into my life. he's been faithful conti- to continue to work into your life. And he will be faithful to complete whatever he started. Unless you think I'm preaching some sort of a cheap, no sorrows, no tragedy, no, no, uh, no struggle gospel, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying there's life and it transcends despair. I'm saying there's more glory in this life than what any treasure of this world could ever bring. Any struggle, any sorrow, any grief doesn't compare, it pales compared to the glory and the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Paul says it in Romans eight eighteen: for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is re- to be revealed to us. He sees something, right? He sees something that we don't always see. I want to see that. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's light and momentary affliction. Think of the things that you're going through. Do your eyes see them as light and momentary? So The scriptures say the truth of the matter is it is light. It is momentary. No matter what you think, no matter how you feel about it. And I'm not trying to like downplay whatever it is that you're going through. I'm just saying... The scriptures say it's light and momentarily compared to the eternal weight of glory, which is beyond all comparison. So whatever you're going through is serious, but if we compare it to the eternal weight of glory, it's not. Philippians 3.8 says, Indeed, I count everything. How many things? Everything. everything I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing just just the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my lord I count everything as lost just for the fact that I can know him everything else is lost because I want to know him for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's the only thing I want. That's the only thing I want is to gain Christ, to grab a hold of him and have him be the thing that anchors me, the thing that I hold on to, the, the light that actually in light, like, shows the truth of the matter everywhere I go. <coughs> and that's what I want to say that the life found in Christ that surpasses all things, that no matter what trials come, no matter what it is, I can say that he is good. Whether sorrow or joy, happiness or grief, Jesus is better. He is worthy of it all. And sometimes, some of us have already had to say that. Some of us are in the midst of saying that, and some of us someday will have to say that. I think of different people in the congregation. I think of Dan losing his wife and his business, the Harnagels losing two children, Judy losing Nick. All of us, just in everything that we go through, the sicknesses that people go through, the Shaws, the Keeners, like every single one of us, we have these different things. In in light of eternal, in in light of the uh, eternal weight of glory, it it all pales in comparison to what we have, that I would know him in the power of his resurrection, that I would actually live into his life, that all things pale in comparison. They all fall to the side. Psalm 37 says, I once was young, but now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children Lacking bread. Oh, 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 how faithful, how good, how good of a God that the righteous are never forsaken. Never forsaken. Always good. Always the life giver. Always the redeemer. He heals the brokenhearted. 1 John 4, 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, His divine power has granted to to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm not lacking in any of them. All things that pertain to life, that's what I want to live into. Godliness is what I want to have and I want to live out of my life. I have all the tools. Everything is in the cooler. Everything that I need everything to taste and see. He's given me all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you might be partakers of his divine nature. That we would be partakers of his divine nature. Like, do we get this thing? There's, like, it's massive, what this changes in our lives if we get we are he's been he's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness and we become partakers of his divine nature life is life is never the same it just can't be having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness come on that's too good Colossians 2, 8 through 10. I'm going to read this in the amplified version um, because it kind of amplifies it a little bit. Uh, Colossians 2, 8 through 10. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by so-called philosophy or intellectualism or vain deceit, idle fancies or plain nonsense, following human tradition, men's ideas or the material rather than the spiritual world just crude notions, following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ, the Messiah. See, that's what I don't want. I don't want us to get into this whole intellectual thing. I don't want us to start thinking through, all right, this is what I see. This is what it looks like. This is how I, like, no. I don't want anybody being deceived by what our eyes see. We walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 9 For in him, so after he says, I don't want you to be taken away. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be like tossed to and fro. But what I do want, I want for him in the fullness of the deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature and you. So just talked about Christ, his glorified, transcendent above all, and you are in him. Made full And having come to the fullness of life in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and reach full spiritual stature. And he is the head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality and power. For in him the fullness of God dwelled, and you are one with him. don't let anybody take you away by fancy thinking, fancy talking, great wisdom, great intellect. There's life found in him and that's where we get our life. So we just came out of the season of Lent where we're supposed to give up something to focus more on Christ. We are now in the life season, in the resurrection, in the Easter season forever. Let's do something different. Instead of taking something off to focus on him, let's put him on and live him out. Let's actually have his life in us. Let's actually put something on instead of taking something off. As we put things on, those things that he says, put off the old, put off the old, don't do these things, take, Like don't, don't do this, as I put him on, those things fall away. I don't actually have to do that. I submit to God and resist the devil. If I submit to God, I resisted the devil. It's a one-stepper. Just submit to God, walk in him, walk fully in him, and life is different. Life is life. All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your grace, for your goodness, for your life, that you've paid for, that you've actually bought, a, bought for us, that you've actually said, hey, this is for you. I've made this. I've prepared this. I knew who you were from before the beginnings of creation, and I'm calling you back to sonship. I'm calling you back to daughtership. I'm saying, hey, be who I made you to be. Be one in me. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that that's what you say to us, that you never get tired, you never get weary of us, you never, your, your grace never runs out, that you continue to, to pour it out. Not just a little bit at a time, but generously, that your grace just pours forth into our lives, God. I thank you that what you began in us, you will be faithful to complete all the way complete to the very end. God, I thank you for your goodness and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.